This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. This is Under the Weather from the BBC. With me, Claire Nazir and Simon King. In this podcast, we'll be joined by a range of experts as we answer some of weather's most interesting and challenging questions. In this episode, how does it feel flying into a hurricane? Everything that we thought was secured in that airplane came unsecured. There were things flying about the cabin. We ended up needing about an hour to clean up the airplane after the trip we took through the uh, northwest eyewall. Under the weather from the BBC. Today, we're going to talk about hurricanes. Love it. And the the question that we want to answer is how does it feel flying into a hurricane? I don't think I ever want to know. It's a a really important part of forecasting hurricanes, actually. And there is a team in Florida, and they're called the Hurricane Hunters. They work for the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Administration, NOAA for short. What a job. I don't think I'd ever want to go down that road or through that storm. Through the storm. Well, these guys fly into the eye of hurricanes. And um, I went to see them a few years back, actually, to talk about what they do, how they do it. Is it exciting? Is it dangerous? But we should probably start with the basics. Cyclones is the generic name Mm -hmm. for hurricanes, typhoons and cyclones, Cyclones, depending on the geography. On the basin, isn't it? So the Atlantic Basin is where you find hurricanes. Mm -hmm. The Pacific Basin is where you find typhoons. And then around Australasia and towards the Indian Ocean, that's where you have cyclones. So they're all the same thing. Hurricane season is from June to November. And they, they start in Africa, actually, in the uh, Ethiopian highlands. So you get a lot of heating in the Ethiopian highlands on the plains there. And then you start to get some thunderstorms developing. And those thunderstorms then get caught up in the African easterly jet and they start to travel across central Africa and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Have you ever seen those, the haboobs and the, the thunderstorms associated with them? It's unbelievable. They're absolutely Huge, the dust storms you're talking the about. The dust storms, yeah. and they're the size of the UK. Yeah. There's a, again, there is, you think there must be a knock on effect. If you're seeing storms like that there, and the weather is traveling from the east towards the west, then obviously you can understand why hurricanes are spawned. Yeah. And, and uh, as well, in the Ivory Coast, they've had recent problems, haven't they, with, with major flooding because of these big thunderstorms that have developed. So you've got these thunderstorms which are developing and then they reach the Atlantic and that is then where you get the other ingredient coming into the the formation of hurricanes and that's the sea surface temperature which has to be above 26.5 degrees, say 27 degrees Celsius. And that then acts as like rocket fuel really for the further generation of these storms because you've got warm, moist uh, air at the surface of the sea that just gets sucked up into these thunderstorms and then they continue to track their way further westward. They build, they build, and eventually they can become hurricanes. So what I'm really interested to learn about really is what makes the psyche right to be a hurricane hunter and how bad does it get? I thought they were completely bonkers. <laughs> but first of all, I think we should just set up why 
they fly into hurricanes. Mm. Why is it important that we have hurricane hunters going into the centre of these storms to look at them? And that's all really down to the fact that we need to to measure them. We need to go into the centre of the eye of the storm and what they do is they measure the, the pressure of these storms. And once they get an idea of the pressure and then you've got an idea of the wind speeds, that's when they can categorise the storms. So that's why you have a hurricane in the middle of the Atlantic, but then we know that it's either a Cat 3 or Cat 4 because these hurricane hunters are going into the storm, they're taking a, a huge amount of measurements and they're dropping these these uh, sons, which go through the atmosphere and they measure temperature, pressure, humidity, wind speeds, wind direction, all that stuff. And this is really, really crucial because hurricanes are hard to forecast. If you get the initial conditions right and all that data gets put into these incredible computer models, then you're more likely to get the best result and that means more lives can be saved. That's right, that's exactly what they're doing. So they, they are flying into these storms to ultimately help save life because if they weren't doing what they were doing then the forecasters at the National Hurricane Centre in Miami you know, would have a harder time in forecasting the direction and the intensity of these storms. So it's very, very important what they do. So let me talk about the planes that they use. They've got a couple of um, Hercules, they're called. So the Royal Air Force have Hercules planes, which are the workhorse. With the the, propellers. That's right, yes. They're quite big. And they've got another Gulfstream, which is like a luxury jet, which looks really nice from the outside, but on the inside it's... It doesn't have nice comfy seats. It doesn't have a mini bar. It's just got a load of instruments inside it. Um, and they call them after Muppet names. So you've got Miss Piggy and Gonzo and another, another one which I can't quite remember. So when I went to Miami, um, I spent the day with the Hurricane Hunters and Lieutenant David Cohen invited me onto one of these planes for a pre-flight briefing. Attention to plane side brief. Welcome aboard, everybody. It's good to have folks out here. Brandon, good to have you. Dave Emmett, good to have you. June, Lisa, welcome aboard. A little DWL test flight. Should be a good time. Should be a, a great time today. Uh, any maintenance issues? Gear pins are good. Purpose, objectives, weather, Mike. All right, so uh, quickly, we're going to do a quick uh, DWL Doppler wind LIDAR test flight, uh, which really consists of two 15-minute legs, straight and level. One 15-minute leg over land, and then one 15-minute leg over the water. So we're gonna go down near and west of Lake Okeechobee and do our overland leg, and we're gonna turn out to the west over the Gulf, and we're gonna do our 15-minute leg over the water, and then we're gonna turn and come home. That's a quick summary of the mission. The current observation here at the airfield winds 220 at eight. Uh, five miles, light rain, that shower's on its way out. We'll be unrestricted by the time uh, we crank up. Uh, sky condition has been varying between two thousand few and two thousand broken depending if we have showers forecast calls for the same throughout our entire until the uh, evening hours really we're gonna have these same kinds of conditions so what's it like inside one of these hurricane hunter planes because i can imagine everything must be locked down and you're, you're strapped in everything is certainly screwed down tight so you you walk into this plane and it is just like a a laboratory. There's computers, there's, there's, there's instruments, lots of computers blinking, flashing lights. Uh, and you can walk around. It's quite, it's quite open. You know, so obviously they've stripped out all the seats of this, of this thing. Um, and they're just these workstations. 
So on board, you will have the pilots, and then you would have the flight director, meteorologist, and then you'd also have other scientists. So either research students from the local university, or just other scientists from the National Hurricane Centre. On the outside of the plane, you've got all these probes, and you know all these are linking into the computers inside, and then all that is linked in then to. Um, the National Hurricane Centre, so they can download their data almost instantaneously to the scientists on the ground to to view what they're looking at. In fact, during the hurricane season, when I know that they're going off flying, even I can log on to a website and actually I can see the data as it comes back from these hurricanes. Okay, so what would be the worst case scenario where they go, we can't fly into this storm? What would be the the maximum winds. I mean, are we talking, would they fly into a Cat 5, say? Absolutely. That's crazy. So what you've got to think about is your commercial flight going across the, the, the Atlantic, for example. Airline pilots will look for the jet stream, won't they? Yeah. So we know that the jet stream is about 30,000, 40,000 feet high up in the atmosphere at wind speeds in excess of sometimes 200 miles an hour. Now, the jet stream goes from west to east. So that is why the flight time from New York to to London is quicker than the reverse. Because the pilots are finding the jet stream and they're using the jet stream. So the straight line wind speed, they will fly within the jet stream. So they've got a, a tailwind of 200 miles an hour. That's not dangerous, is it? So we're talking about the straight line speed. But a, a storm yep. circulates. Yep. Okay, hurricanes Trap, you know, there is a spin there. Mm-hmm. There's, there's the, the a rotation, rotation. and okay. then, and then you, you haven't got just strong winds of say 200 miles an hour. You've got gusts which are in excess of that. Not only that, you have a huge amount of rain, mm-hmm. um, hail, can, hail, lightning, <laughs> and then it, they can also spawn tornadoes. Okay, so, yeah. so there's quite a lot of other stuff going on, which I would say that's possibly not my criteria for flying. So uh, this is one thing I asked them quite. Yeah outright how do you fly into the center of a storm and it's all about the turbulence so the instruments on board can show them where the turbulence is Mm. of the storm so we're talking about the up and down drafts and those are the dangerous winds that they have when flying into a hurricane and they can map that they can see where that is so basically all they're doing is it's like a, 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 a a puzzle they just basically avoid the major turbulence and keep within kind of the more straight line wind speeds and they then manage to negotiate their way into the eye of the storm and yes they do go into cat five hurricanes you know with wind speeds in excess of 160 miles an hour i can imagine you're going through that that that, the eye wall where you get those core intense winds and you can just about you go and it's all calm well let's find out when I went to Miami to the base of these hurricane hunters, I spoke to Jack Parrish, who is a flight director and project manager with the Hurricane Hunter team in Florida. We keep count only of the times we've been through a hurricane eye. In my case, that's 545 times. Wow, 545 times. Yep. Uh, we have one fellow downstairs, Terry Lynch, who's gone over 600. He's the number one guy in, in active flying. How did you feel when you went into the eye? Growing up in Florida, being, being educated in Florida, having done some time in the Coast Guard, seeing stormy weather on board a ship. I knew about the hurricane hunters. Everybody knew about the hurricane hunters. At that point, they were the military guys, the Navy and the Air Force guys who went out there and did that. Uh, having an interest in meteorology, it was it was sort of like 
Nah, they, they, it's sort of like wanting to be an astronaut. So, yeah, I'd love to be a hurricane hunter. Nobody gets to be a hurricane hunter. So, you know, that's an unreasonable dream happened to come true. Flying that first hurricane, Alan, first day out, flying on the high plane, flying up at 15,000 feet through the eye multiple times, thought, hmm, I've really been on commercial flights that are almost this bad. Maybe that's just all there is to it. Second day, 1,500 feet down south of Hispaniola, the airplane came completely unglued, uh, not physically, but everything that we thought was secured in that airplane came unsecured. There were things flying about the cabin. We ended up needing about an hour to clean up the airplane after the, after the trip we took through the uh, northwest eyewall. Uh, and then and then finished the pattern at a, sl- at a little bit higher, a little bit safer altitude. And that was a that was a, a, a gasp of, well, every other flight might be like this, so I better get used to it. How do you see things have changed? Uh, obviously, the forecast has got better. We really struggled for decades and decades with intensification. And if anything is happening in in the last decade since Katrina, is we're getting more factors that are going into the intensification puzzle. So the results are getting better. Uh, they, we have a long way to go, and we have a lot of technology to go, but uh, the, the big hope is, is getting such good quality data from various sources, satellites, airplanes, radars, and then getting the models to assimilate them in such a way that they can put out a good forecasting product, both in terms of track and intensity. That is happening, and and our, our quest is always to make it happen fast enough that it compensates for how rapidly we populate the coast. We can't change the weather. We can't make it better. All we can do is appreciate the fact that getting uh, that keeping people alive is the most important thing. You can replace stuff. You can't replace the kids and the pets and the people. So, so giving sufficient warning and getting people to act the right way when there is a threat uh, that's, that's really everything. And then, and then for me, I really, I had an idea of what these crews did as a team, but just a, just a concept and to be a piece of that team and realize what everybody's individual contribution is to the, to the whole effort, to getting that warning out to those millions of people who are watching the weather channel and are whoever, uh, who are getting their information from the hurricane center, there's no way to appreciate that until you train in that role and execute in that role. This is Under the Weather from BBC Radio. And in this episode, how does it feel flying into a hurricane? So you just heard there from Jack Parrish, who has flown through nearly 600 hurricanes at Whoa. the eye. Now, I saw, I went into his office in, and they wear these jumpsuits, as you would if you're a pilot. And they've got a very cool badge, a Hurricane Hunter badge. And I thought, oh, I've got to get my hands on one of those. They look amazing. Uh, but his badge was a bit more special. It was a, a gold badge because when you go through uh, more than 300 uh, eye walls, you then get your a master, master eye rover. So 300 penetrations plus, you get the special badge, which is so cool. Amazing. Um, but hurricane hunting isn't a new thing. They've been doing it for, for decades. And I also spoke to an ex-hurricane hunter, Dr. Hugh Willoughby. I spoke to Hugh and he gave me a really interesting insight into one of the hurricanes that he went into. And, uh, well, it didn't go quite as planned. The worst experience was in Hurricane Hugo in 1989. Uh, we lost an engine 
just outside the eye wall as we were flying along in severe turbulence. And uh, 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 that was, we, we got into the eye and we had th three engines and the eye was small and it wasn't clear whether or not we had overstressed the wing spars. The, the accelerometer on the pilot's instrument panel registered beyond the limits, the allowed limits, but there's a safety margin. And so here we were, three engines inside the eye with a steep angle of bank to orbit inside the eye. And it's really hot in there, so the air's not very dense. We dumped as, you can't dump all the fuel out for obvious reasons, but we dumped as much fuel as we could to make the airplane light. We had expendables, drop-sons, bathothermographs, and we dropped all of those. Uh, we started looking around at our colleagues to see which ones might be... Ex no, not really. Uh, uh, but uh, we could get up to maybe 7,000 feet. So here we are circling in the eye, not sure whether we were going to have to go back out through severe turbulence and not sure whether we damaged the airplane structurally. So the debate was, should we try to go out now or should we orbit until we burned more fuel to get the airplane light and then but not have enough fuel to get back to Barbados get outside the storm and land in the water and at that point our friends in the Air Force came in at 10,000 feet and they were talking to us and they kind of knew that we were in a bad situation and they said next time you roll around to where you're pointing towards the northwest go wings level and go out we had light turbulence on penetration and we lived, and it was very drunk out that night back in Barbados. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it myself, and I'm going to ask you that question in a moment, but the most important thing about this is that they do risk their lives. They do incredibly important work, and if you imagine what computer models were like even 30 years ago, we've got more computer power on our mobile phones now than were in the supercomputers, say, 30 years ago. And they're taking incredibly accurate readings, which all get ingested into these big supercomputers now. The forecast error rate is much, much lower. In fact, 2017, the Met Office global model performed incredibly well. And so, you know, people are forewarned and forearmed. Mm -hmm. People know that there will be hurricanes hitting their island, hitting some parts of the USA, but getting 60 hours notice before something hits actually is its perhaps the margin between life and death. So, yes, they do do an incredible job. I put my hands up now and say I find hurricanes fascinating um, and incredibly scary and for obvious reasons. But with my cup of tea and a laptop, <laughs> I will happily forecast from the comfort of, a, of an office, whereas... You were salivating through this. These, <laughs> you were, uh, your eyes were bright, Simon. Mm. I know you. Mm. Yeah, would, I love it. Would you do it? Um, again, it's very, it's very easy for me to say that yes, I would do it absolutely. But I mean, it might be different when you're on the ground doing it for real. But when I grew up, I wanted to be a weatherman. Mm. We've established that. But I also had a big interest in uh, the air force and flying planes. So I always wanted to kind of combine the two. And that led me to actually being a mobile Met unit forecaster for the Met Office. So when I first became a forecaster, I was also uh, a trained um, officer in the Royal Air Force. And I have forecasted for the military in, in the Middle East. 
And for me, that was the combination of you know two loves: the the Royal Air Force and and weather forecasting. Now these guys, they are uh, you know government forecasters, military weather forecasters, and they are flying into the eye of hurricanes. And if I was in the US, if I was allowed to go for those sort of jobs, then absolutely I would have my name on there. That would be just for me the perfect kind of job that I could do. It'd be brilliant. You want one of those cat suits, don't you? Sorry, boiler suits. The flight Sorry. suits. Oh, and I, I want one of those gold Master Eye Rovers. Put it on the Christmas list. <laughs> so yeah, I would very happily do it. But you said they, they do an incredibly important job, and we thank them, we salute them for what they do, and I think they're great. On that note. We have to end it here. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of Under the Weather. And if you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review.